Welcome back to Real When Shared. Real stories shared by real people. Well, right now it's just me, but there will be more humans in the future. So I did a poll on Instagram, and most people wanted me to talk about the NYE that broke me, but I figured that was going to be a little bit depressing for a second episode. So the one that came in second was Wild Whistler. I don't know if that's going to be the title yet, but um, so today we are going to talk about living in Whistler and what that was like and how wild it was. And it was only a year of my life, but let's get into it. So actually, just before I get into it, um, I'm, I'm not sure if I said it before, but there's there really is no structure to this. I'm just going to um, think about my time in Whistler and whatever stories pop in my head, I will... I will tell them to you, and uh, I really hope there's no young kids that will tune into this, because, um, yeah, this episode is going to be, gosh, I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit here, I think. Also, the walls are really thin, and I'm pretty sure my neighbor can hear everything I'm talking about, so she's going to hear everything. Yay! So... I moved to Whistler because I was trying to get over an ex and well, that's for another time, but I was trying to get to New Zealand. I didn't. Anyway, I ended up in Whistler and I didn't know too much about it. Just that, you know, everyone just likes to live the dream out there. Everyone is snowboarding or skiing every day. I also heard that Whistler has its own strand of chlamydia before getting there and I knew that people called it Wistralia because it's filled with Aussies. And honestly, I was stoked about, um, mainly about all the Australians because I have a thing for Australian accents and I love their laid back attitude and their style. I don't know. I've always been obsessed with Australia since I was a kid. So I remember on the bus to staff housing it was basically the whole bus was Australians and the Aussie accent just, oh my gosh. (laughs) I was basically jizzing in my seat before arriving to Whistler. I was like, this is a dream. They were not lying about Whistler. It is going to be a dream. But let me tell you, staff housing was, was not a dream. Living in staff housing, I mean, from the moment I arrived, reminded me of living in residence in university, like my college university days. And I kind of had a feeling, ooh, this may not be good. Uh, Pack living with roommates. I'm in a bunk bed. Oh, gosh, what am I doing with my life? But as I said, I was there to get over an ex. So I fully embraced every experience that came my way. And... All everyone did, every day, mainly, was party, get drunk. Everyone was drinking all the time. Um, If you're not working, you're drinking. If you're not snow... Actually, even if you are skiing or snowboarding on the mountain, you're even drinking then. People usually had um, Mickeys of Fireball in their snow pants. That was... I think that was the most common thing to have in your snow pants to just whip out and drink because it would also warm you up a little bit. But there was partying nonstop, and 
me coming from a partying background in university and trying to get over an ex at the same time, I fully dove into this lifestyle. I mean, if I took a nosedive and face planted in the powder on the mountain, was that snow or was that cocaine? Because it could have been either. And yeah, I did for my first time in my life try cocaine when I lived in Whistler. I had this whole YOLO vibe and just fuck it. I'm going to experience this to the fullest. And if someone give me cocaine, yeah, I'll try it. Give me some. Maybe that's why my right nostril has grown bigger than my left. (laughs) That's also probably not something to joke about, but I think about it often. Um, But on the subject of cocaine, that was another um, heavily populated, I guess, uh, there's a lot of Brits there. So um, it was mainly Australians. And then I think the second most amount of people came from the UK. Um, And boy, did they live up to their stereotype of loving their Coke because every Brit that I met was um, high on cocaine all the time. I mean, I worked as a lifty on the mountain and sometimes I would struggle to wake up in the morning. And I, I remember asking a fellow lifty, I was like, how are you so alive at this hour and it's dark out and you're so chipper and he's like cocaine mate I'm like Jesus okay well I'm not doing that on the job I'm gonna I I would not function but at a party yeah I did some lines um and I remember oh I just remembered a party I went to um I did lines of coke and I was up so late so I I think I I didn't fall asleep until the morning, but when I woke up, there was, of course, a British man in my bed, or not my bed. I was in his bed, I think. I woke up in many different beds when I lived in Whistler, (laughs) and his roommate was in his bed. I can't remember whose bed I was in. It does not matter, but there was an Australian and a British dude, and I woke up not where I was supposed to be after doing lines of coke, the previous night with them and this is how um my first and only almost threesome happened um just by the way my computer keeps cutting me off because it's like a 2010 mac pro so i have to keep stopping and recording apologies in advance but let's get back to the story okay so i did lens of coke with these Guys, last night, I don't know why I have an accent all of a sudden when I say Coke. Coke. Um, and so I wake up and they're like, hey, you want to do a threesome? And me being like saying yes to every experience and wanting to get over my ex, I was like, hell yeah. But first of all, I am way too sober for that. So does anyone have any alcohol? And of course, everyone always has fireballs. So someone passed me fireball and I was chugging fireballs like, fuck, I'm about to have my first threesome. I don't know what I'm going to, how does this even work? I don't know the logistics. Where do people go? I'm not too sure. I was way too nervous. I was like, I will, fine. Yes, I will have a threesome, but I need to get a little bit tipsy first. And if I can recall, this is around 9am in the morning-ish and I'm chugging fireball to get drunk 
so I can have a threesome. <laughs> and okay, I remember, I don't know who was where, but it started off with someone going down on me and the other person was making it with me and like kissing my tits and that's how it started. And while he was making out with me, I I was like, nah, I think I think the other guy's better at making out. <laughs> so they switched spots. And the guy who was like kissing my um mouth and neck and stuff, he went down and he went down on me, and the other guy moved up on top and was making out with me. And that was way better. He was such a better kisser. I remember that. So that was a good call. I think I made him, I think I was like, oh, you need to like rinse your mouth though. Cause I don't want to taste my own vagina. Don't judge me. Okay. This was a long time ago. And so that's happening and I'm getting wet. I think I don't really remember, but they made the executive decision to like, so, you know, whip out their, their penises and start doing their thing. And the guy who was eating me out gets ready to like insert <laughs> And the guy who is making out with me also gets ready to insert. And I'm like, oh, my God. I completely forgot that, like, yeah, um, both, like, holes of my body are going to be occupied at the same time. How am I going to even enjoy this? I'm going to have to focus on sucking a dick while another one is entering my vagina and, and somehow enjoy that. Uh, do they know how a female mind works? For sex, I mean, I need to, you know, my mind's on overload, you know? <laughs> so we're prepping. Well, we're not prepping, you know? Uh, yeah, well, I guess we are prepping. The guy puts on a condom. And oh, right before I say what I'm about to say, I would just like to say that I made a comic about this because I was going to make comics about my adult life stories, which I might still do. I'm not going to tell you the name because it's really good, but so they, this guy is about to have sex with me. You know, the guy who is going into my vag and literally right as he's going into me, I'm like, just, you know, uh, just like as a, as a side note, I'm a, I'm a virgin. And both of them stop and look at each other and they're like, what? Why didn't you say anything before? And I was like, I, what do you mean? Just keep going, keep going. That's fine. I'm just letting you know. Just like PS. <laughs> but keep going. It's fine. And they both stopped and they're like, we're not doing this. You're a virgin. We're not. No, 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 no. This is not happening. And I was so pissed off at myself and the situation. The threesome that never happened. And yeah, that was awkward. I never spoke to either of those two guys again <laughs> and now that I think of it like a lot of my time at Whistler was trying to get laid and never actually getting laid uh yeah we'll talk about that another time I think but let's keep going with how wild Whistler was ready so another time I went on a date no I didn't did I go on a date I can't remember if it was a date or he just he somehow like found me and we were just, we ended up having drinks together at a bar and he really liked me. I can't remember if it was a date or he just was obsessed. And I started noticing the obsession with me and I made an escape from the bar we were at and I ran out. 
and it, I think it was like end of winter almost kind of time. So there's still fire pits uh, out on patios at restaurants and bars. And I ran out and I hid underneath a fire pit because it was also really cold out. And I didn't know how long I was going to be hiding for. And I see him run past him like, oh my God, he's literally running after me. And a guy who was at the bar saw me and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm hiding from somebody. I'm running away from a date. <laughs> and when I thought I had a breakaway, I did. I, I ran out and I started running up like to get to staff housing. It's a, a bit of a hill um, because you can ski down it into the village. And to get to staff housing, you have to go back up the hill which is a little bit terrifying in the dark and when you're by yourself because there's the risk of running into bears. We live where there's bears. And so it's so scary being there by yourself because all, all you can think about is bears. But bears. But I was so focused on this guy following me and also a bear popping out. So I was like on high alert and I'm slipping and I'm running up this icy hill and I look back and this guy's following me. <laughs> And I, well, I made it back because I don't remember him coming into where I was living, but I just remember being like, that was an insane night. How did that even happen? Where I end up hiding underneath a fire pit and then bolting up an icy hill and terrified for my life because this date is so creepy and obsessive. Yeah. I had a lot of weird dates. Oh gosh. And another date, I think we were just seeing each other, but still it was like a we're hanging out and a popular thing to do, um, I don't know if it still is, but when I was living in Whistler was hot tub hopping. So when a hotel is, you know, their maintenance people and their cleaning people are done for the evening, you hop the fence and you uh, bring some drinks and you enjoy a good time in their hot tub. <laughs> and I think he left me at night because I wanted to stay a little bit longer. I don't know. Things in Whistler are so blurry and fuzzy in my mind, but I remember the morning because I had a rude awakening by a cleaning person, maintenance, whoever they were. They came to check on the hot tub in the morning and I was, guess where I was sleeping? I slept in, you know where they keep the towels? In some places it's like a, like a trunk kind of like a, a big box sort of thing. I, I, I slept in there in the fetal position, freezing on top of all their towels. And I think I maybe have used towels as, you know, like blankets thrown on top of me. I think I was trying to hide a little bit. So all you could see is my little cold face in there, but I, I woke up and I was like, holy shit, you know, this is the worst place. I would rather wake up in a stranger's bed than, have a cleaning person at a hotel say, excuse me, you're not supposed to be here. And I wake up and I look around and I'm in this trunk of towels. Oh gosh. Yeah, that was, uh, that was quite interesting. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like at a point where I, I think I'm like 15 minutes in. Yeah. Do I continue saying more wild stories or... I mean, semi-wild or interesting? Do I go more inspirational? I'm like, I really don't know because I'm just starting this podcast. And so I need feedback. So whoever is 
you know, interested about this idea of this podcast, please let me know what you want to hear, what kind of stories you want to hear. I have a few more. Okay, let's see. What else happened in Whistler? Okay, I just realized I can't not talk about Gaper Day. So we'll talk about Gaper Day, and then I'll tell you some stories that are kind of cool. Me meeting my, um, at the time... I guess my idol, my someone who inspired me the most, and she was in Whistler. And uh, I had a miracle moment that happened to me as well. But before we get there, let me tell you about some, something called Gaper Day. I know what the interesting thing is, is like I'm telling stuff to you about what was the norm back when I lived there and it was full of party animals and cocaine addicts and stuff but then I've grown up and the pandemic happened so it's been quiet there and I remember when I visited I was like "Ooh, it's not the same vibe but I I swear to you when I tell you that it's as chaotic and wild as I am trying to express you it 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 is it was it was this (laughs) it was extreme it everyone was just off the rockers. Is that what you say? <laughs> so, um, Gaper Day was a huge event. And it's when it is the time that both mountains close. It's the last final day you have on the mountain before summer starts. Everyone picks it something funky to wear, something weird, something ridiculous. Or just offbeat, whatever whatever your heart desires. But the thing is, on Gaper Day, getting up the mountain, it's uh, there is high security, so you have to strategically plan in advance. And my friend, let's call him something else to keep people anonymous. His name is what is his name? Morgan. <laughs> my friend Morgan and I the. A few days before, the day prior, we went up the mountain and we hid our alcohol. We buried it in some snow behind some pine trees and we took pictures of where we hid it so that we would remember. And then when we went up on Gaper Day, obviously we had no alcohol on us. We got up fine. But then we went and we dug up our alcohol so that we could go party. (laughs) Party, party. And... I remember we went to where the party was supposed to be, which was in the park of Blackcomb. Blackcomb. So in Whistler, there's two mountains. There's Blackcomb and Whistler. Blackcomb Mountain and Whistler Mountain. And the party was on Blackcomb. And I remember the lift got shut down and everyone who was partying in that area was like, no, because we wanted to drink and just watch people do tricks and flips and stuff because the park is... The park is where the jumps and the flips and all that stuff happen and the rails and all that all that cool shit. And it got um, so we had to move. And apparently, the party was way up the mountain a bit further. I just was like, "Ha, oh, fuck me! <laughs> I have to hike up uh, in my snowboarding boots." My yeah, whatever. So we get there, and honestly, it was a friggin' cool experience. I am so glad I lived to do a gaper day. I don't know if that is still a thing or it'll continue to be a thing later on. 
I don't know, but it was such a cool experience. Just have a mountain party. You're on, you're so high up in the middle of nowhere. Really, you're in the wild on a snowy mountain, dressed so silly with your friends, drinking, and it's so much fun. There's music blasting from who knows where. People are drunkenly trying to do tricks and flips and doing shots off belly buttons and so much is going on. But I knew I was like, you know what? I have a feeling I'm not going to make it down this mountain on my own. How am I going to make it down snowboarding drunk? I can't do it. I can't like, but especially with a backpack at this point, I was like, I, I, I was still just, just on the verge of confidently snowboarding with some, with more weight on my back. You know, like I had before Whistler, I couldn't snowboard that well. And then when I moved to Whistler, because I was a lifty, my skills improved immensely. But on that day, I completely forgot how to snowboard. Uh, And I knew I wasn't getting down that mountain. So I didn't know what to do. I remember I gave it my best effort. And at the point where I just fumbled and crashed, I let it happen. And I face planted <laughs> in cocaine. No, it was actual snow that I face planted in. But I just laid there and I was like, someone's going to help me. Someone will help me. So I think someone notified Ski Patrol and they picked me up. And I think it was acting a little bit, you know, I'm the actor in me. I'm like, oh, gosh. I just, I can't get down by myself. I need to, I need, I need someone else. So let's just, let's just play this up a little bit more so that I can get down the mountain. So ski patrol, um, puts me on the back of his little ski do and we go down the mountain and he brings me to the hospital, right to the hospital. And they put me in a wheelchair. (laughs) I'm not sure why. And the whole time I'm like, this is so excessive what is happening? And so in my little wheelchair as I'm waiting to see what happens to me because literally nothing is wrong with me. I'm just drunk and I couldn't get down the mountain. I I scoot to the washroom and I don't know why I had to go to the washroom. Oh, just to like figure out my escape plan. And so I think I left the wheelchair in there and I pretended I was a different human and I just like walked out of the bathroom and bolted and ran out of the hospital and just ran to a bus stop and slept on the bench yep so that's how I got down the mountain um mm-hmm. yeah I just fooled ski patrol sorry guys <laughs> if you remember me okay I feel like this is a good segue into another story because um it's we're still on the topic of parties because you know Whistler is just partying all the time and on when was it? Ah, St. Patrick's Day. That's when it was. I remember that. I went up there by myself on Whistler Mountain. I knew there was a party happening out of bounds. So um, that means it's kind of, I don't, I don't remember the exact terminology now, but you're not on any runs and stuff. So you're like in the, oh, backcountry, basically. You're in the backcountry of Whistler Mountain. It's kind of near the back is where it was happening, the party for St. Patrick's Day. And I went up by myself. I thought I was going to meet up with a friend, but she didn't text me back. 
sad. Um, that's my life. And um, on the way to the party, it was fine. I was excited, I guess. I was like, oh, I'll just find a group to hang out with. And I get there, and I pull up my phone to message my friend and see if she's there. And my phone's not there. And I was freaking out. I was like, shit. I remember... I remember physically putting my hand in my snow pants and putting it in my pocket. I knew what I did. But maybe I didn't do up the zipper. And I freaked out. I was like, I cannot enjoy this party knowing that my phone with everything on it is gone. All my writing, all my poetry, which I created my poetry book with, was on that phone. Every, everything, all my writing, I, I just needed it. I could not lose that phone. So I left... I remember it was such good energy though, and I really wanted to stay. I never got to experience it. I saw some flips happening off some, you know, some uh, makeshift jumps and stuff, and everyone was in green, and, and it looked like so much fun. But I have never snowboarded that fast in my life. And I knew that after that run down that hill, going that fast, I was like, damn. I'm I'm freaking good. <laughs> but I ran back to staff housing so fast and I went on to find my iPhone and I found that it was on Whistler Mountain. This little place you can like see a little dot on a mountain. It's like on a mountain. How are you supposed to find where it is? And I tried to zoom in and like work out logistics of where it could be. And I was like, okay, I, it looks like it's like halfway in between where um, peak chair is, like the, the lift that brings you right up to the top. Looks like it's like halfway in between there and where the party could be, like going off the trail. And I couldn't go back there that same day because the mountain was going to be closing at a certain time. And I knew my phone was going to die. So I screenshotted where it could be, like while it was still alive. And the next day I made it my mission to go up there and find it. And so the next day that's what I did because I really wanted to explore Whistler and just have a good time, but because I'm always on black comb snowboarding, uh, I was a lifting on black comb. So I spent a lot of my time snowboarding on black comb rather than Whistler. And I wanted to explore, but I knew I had to find my phone. So instead of exploring, the day was dedicated to finding my iPhone. <laughs> uh, so I go up to the top of Whistler. I feel like I sounded so girly there. So I go up to the top of Peak Terra and Whistler and... I follow where I think it could be. And I'm snowboarding so slowly along the track, along the top of Whistler Mountain. And I followed my tracks back and forth to where the party was for St. Patty's Day. And I was like, whoa, what a mess. <laughs> back and forth and like everywhere on top there around that area. And it came to a point where I was like, I'm not going to find it. What, what are the odds of me finding my phone? Bar it's probably buried in snow. People probably snowboarded or skied over it. Anything could have happened. And so at the point of giving up, I collapsed on my knees just off a cat track. And so uh, for those who don't know, a cat track is it's the track the groomers leave when they make the um, or when they groom the trails on the mountains so I was just past or like kneeling at a cat track or a, yeah where they groomed um and I was on my knees 
my face was down in the snow and I was crying and I was begging to a God I didn't believe in because I'm not religious, but I, I needed help. I needed some sort of higher power to help me because I needed that dang phone. And honestly, it felt like, it felt like the universe heard me because the second I just surrendered my entire self just crying into the snow. People were passing by me. I didn't care. I just surrendered myself to whatever was happening and just pleaded for help. I looked up and right there, maybe about a meter in front of me, I looked up and my phone was there. And it was almost as if someone just placed it there in the midst of me crying because I had just walked past that area and it just appeared. The moment I gave up, the moment I surrendered, it was so wild. And I I went back and it was still functioning. It was a miracle. It literally felt like a miracle. I was like, I have, I have no words to describe how I found my phone or how it showed up right in front of me, even though I, I, ran, I walked past this area several times. It was amazing. Um, but that was an incredible experience that happened. And I'm so thankful for that. <sighs> okay, if I'm being real here. No, I did not just sniff Coke. Um, I just had a sneeze attack. I sneezed like minimum five times in a row. And I was listening to The Basement, you already know, Joe Santagato. I don't know if anyone listens, but they were like saying if anyone like sneezes past like five times, you're crazy. What? That's the norm for me. Anyway, I was just thinking that I ended on such an inspirational like story. Um, but, you know, I like to do a little mixy mix. So we're going to mix things up. All right. Okay. So that also happened. But let's not forget how fucked up Whistler is, okay, to live there, all right? Let's go back to that. (laughs) And, I mean, I guess it wasn't that inspiring, but what I was getting at is that just maybe sometimes you can trust in the universe that things will work out if you just surrender and believe and feel grateful and, and thankful and... And yeah, that's, I guess that's what happened in that last story I was telling you guys. But, um, so to get back to the fucked upness of Whistler, (laughs) um, I lived with three other people. There was two rooms. It was me and a girl named Emma. Sorry. Yes. I am now saying names because what is that quote? Like if you, oh gosh, something about like, if you, didn't want people to say your name or talk about you, then you should behave better or something like that. I forget how it goes, but like, whatever, you guys are assholes to me. So <laughs> yeah, so I um, I shared a bunk with this girl named Emma. I was on the bottom, she was on the top. And the other room had Colby and I forget the, honestly, I actually forget his name. He was so quiet. I don't even remember his name. He just never spoke. He was just, he reminded me of my brother, my younger brother, who also, it doesn't really exist. Um, Yeah. So the guy who never spoke, he was British. 
he's not really important. He just always like tagged along with Colby. Colby was, he thought he was the shit, the king of our little staff housing. Um, I forget what housing block number I was in, whatever, of our little building. He thought he was king. Um, and he bothered me so much. Not only was his really strong Canadian redneck accent friggin' annoying, and I'm so sorry, but geez, <laughs> Uh, he, you know, like, God, I don't know what I'm trying to say here is like, you can choose how you come across to people when you first meet them. And the way he came across when he first introduced himself to me, and I don't know how he said to other people either, but it's like my first impression of you is like you don't want to come across as like some cocky redneck person from Manitoba, which is where he's from, with a thick Canadian accent, uh, which, oh, God, it was really annoying. And don't walk around like you think you own the place, man. He walked around like he owned our building and owned the parties that happened. And he was part of the rumors that, were spread about me. Yeah, rumors were spread out, uh, spread about me, the quiet girl. I was a quiet, shy girl growing up in high school, and now there's rumors about me as a lifty and whistler. Imagine that. I 14-year-old me would laugh. She'd be like, what the hell? What did you do? <laughs> it's, it's so insane. And my bunkmate, Emma, god damn, girl. Did you have to be such a bitch? Seriously. (laughs) Like she would go, she's also a lifty. So the two guys, I forget what they did. They worked in some other department, but me and Emma, Emma and I, sorry. uh, We were both lifties and some other people would tell me like, Hey, Emma's saying this about you, blah, 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 blah. And so I knew she would go behind my back and just tell people shit about me. And at one point I remember someone was like, I heard someone saying like, I don't know, speaking of me, they're like, she's either such a, like, like she's a huge slut and has slept with too many people and definitely has chlamydia, or she's a virgin and doesn't, has never even seen a penis. There was like two extremes, but I'm like, why does that even matter? Why are you even talking about that? There were just like rumors about me, but every single thing and I remember when I fractured my ribs, there were rumors about that. Like, oh my God, she's being lazy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, like I had to go to the hospital. I have to wear a sling around me because no one believes that I'm actually injured because it's an invisible injury. Having fractured ribs, no one can see that, right? I can't just be like, oh, sorry, I can't help lift your skis onto the lift. My my ribs are fractured. Uh, I don't visibly look injured, right? So I made a sling and I wrapped my arm around it so that I looked visibly injured so that people would stop being like, oh, she's a lazy lifty. It was so ridiculous. But the people I lived with made it, made it hell. <laughs> but um, when summer came, I finally got the heck out of there because it was getting insane. And yeah, that's what staff housing was like. It was... It was like I was back in high school and I did not want that again. 
Okay, so I'm trying to keep my episodes short-ish in the beginning, and I, I, I realize I'm approaching 40 minutes, I think-ish. And I just, I mean, I don't understand. I remember living there and being like, how do people grow up here? And I mean, I guess living in staff housing, you can't, it's hard. But if you grew up there, obviously you're rich and you, you know, you're living with your parents and that you're rich and you, you get to do all those fun things. So you're, you're kind of away from it all. But I remember living there and being like, I can't grow. Um, I can't grow as a person here because it is so toxic. It's the party scene is just so insane and it's so demanding of you to, to be partying with everybody as well. Otherwise you're not cool and you're a loser, blah, blah, blah. And I always cared about what people thought about me, which is something I've always had to work on. But anyway, I ended up leaving, but, um, to end it on a positive story, I guess, which is also kind of wild that I met, um, Rachel Brathen. Um, I'm not sure if whoever is listening knows who that is, but at the time, and she's still a huge influence on me. I love what she talks about. She's just so honest and vulnerable. Her podcast is amazing. It, I was inspired by her podcast as well for what mine is about, kind of just like speaking from the heart. And so hers is called from the heart. Um, but I met Rachel and this is how that happened. I'll leave it on that note. Okay. So this is what happened and how I met Rachel. It's a usual, um, casual day, day off for me. I'm going up Whistler mountain to explore on my snowboard. And I get a text from a friend in Ontario saying, did you know Rachel is currently skiing in Whistler right now and I was like no way you're lying (laughs) and at the time because I was young I had snapchat I don't anymore and I was like you're lying and then I checked Rachel's snapchat um yoga girl is who she is and I checked her snapchat and I was like holy heck Rachel is here yoga girl is in Whistler what I need to meet her. She was my biggest idol at the time. And I I was like, this is, this is my moment. This is the time. It's, um, it felt uh, meant to be. So this is a little bit creepy of me, but I had to, in order to find Rachel and meet her, I had to figure out where she was. So I was kind of like analyzing her Snapchats and being like, oh, um, that sign behind her looks like it's, and I had to like zoom in. I was like, oh my God, that's on Blackcomb. And like, when I realized I was on the wrong mountain, I was like, oh, fuck me. I'm never going to meet her. So, cause I'm going up the gondola on Whistler mountain, which takes a bit of time. And it stopped, blah, blah, blah. Text my friend back home. Like, I'm not going to meet her. I'm on the wrong mountain. And I get off at the gondola. I rush to the peak to peak. There's a thing called peak to peak where it takes you across from Whistler to Blackcomb and Blackcomb to Whistler. And I I go on that and it's 11 minutes long. I know that because I've worked it. (laughs) And saying a bunch of times to myself in the gondola by myself, like the peak to peak gondola, it echoes. It's really nice. Anyway, um, so I make it across and I go back on Snapchat and I check to see if she updated any anything about where she is 
And I was like, okay, like, where would I be if I'm a tourist and I'm a black count? Where would I go? And um, right at the top, like when you when you're by the peak to peak, there's this big restaurant. I I forget the name. <laughs> Is it Rendezvous? It could be. I don't know. It might have changed now. Um, but there's a big restaurant there at the top, and I was like, she's probably around here. And if not, she could be down at a lower lower restaurant. So I searched um, the area, kind of like skimmed the area, like searching around. And I knew what she was wearing because of her Snapchat um, videos and stuff. So I was like, okay, she's in all white with some fur. And she's with Dennis, her husband. Love you guys. Sorry, I'm not a stalker. (laughs) Um, I just admire you two so much if you ever hear this. Uh, And from so far away, I spotted Rachel's outfit. And... (laughs) I unbuckled my one boot and I stumbled across on like my one boot was in my snowboard. My other foot was out. So I was like, like stumbling across the snow so fast. And I literally just crashed in front of her feet and was like, Rachel, I was like, I'm a huge fan. Oh God. I feel so embarrassed telling this story. (laughs) We got a picture together. Dennis took the picture and, um, and then, yeah, and that was it. And I was like, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I, I love what you talk about. You're so inspirational to me and blah, 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 blah. I don't really remember what I said. And when I stepped back in and went snowboarding back down the mountain, I was like on such a high. And as I was snowboarding down, I I looked to my right and I see Dennis, her husband. And I was like, oh, my God, it looks like I'm following them. And I was like, oh, hey, Dennis, great snowboarding. Uh, I'm totally not following you. I just, this is how you get down. <laughs> this, is the, this is the best way down because I wanted to go to uh, another lodge and go pee. Um, and then so I go to the lodge, not knowing they're going to go there. And I go inside and just like take a break and like gather myself like what the heck just happened. And out comes Rachel from I wherever she was, bathrooms, whatever. And she sees me sitting there. She's like, oh hello again. Nice to see you again. I was like, yeah, oh my gosh. I am, I swear to God, I'm not following you. I was just, I just came here to to take a break. And she's like, well, nice meeting you for a second time. And she left. And I was like, "Mm, that was very embarrassing. Oh my goodness. I met my idol and she thinks I'm a stalker. (laughs) But what I'm trying to get at is just how wild the whole experience was. Like to find her, to... Oh, to find her sounds weird. I mean, I just really wanted to be my idol and I did what it took to, you know, have that interaction with her. But in the end, it seemed like kind of stalkerish, which is kind of funny to me. I was like, holy shit, we ended up just going down the same run and now we just bumped into each other again. Oh my God, I look so insane. And I was like, I'm just going to just bury myself in the snow and never come out again. And so far after talking throughout this episode, I kind of want to bury my head in some snow. But I look outside right now and the sun is shining. And I, you know what? I'm dedicating this day to just recording this episode because I'm dedicated to to doing this podcast. So there's no snow to bury my head in, but I really want to bury my head in some snow right now after talking about all of this. And to end my Whistler experience on a... um 
non-scarring and non-stalkerish note. Um, I think the highlight of my experience in Whistler for that year I was there was probably, so I was there from the winter season to the summer season, so a whole year, and towards the end of that year, I had a shift in me internally. It was weird. I can't even really explain it to you. There was a shift internally, and I... I felt myself appreciating everything around me to such a greater degree. And I would just look at a tree. And I trust me, I'm not high. I'm just, like, I would look at a tree and I'd be like, wow, that tree is so beautiful. I wasn't even high. Usually I have to be high to be like, oh, my God, that tree. But I was just sober and I was noticing things I wasn't before. And I was so... Um, just like hyper aware of the beauty around me. And I was noticing this internal shift. I was practicing more yoga. And then I left. And I feel like I left because Whistler was so chaotic and such a party vibe. But at the same time, it was too late. And I wish I stayed because that internal shift within me was happening. And I got home and I completely regretted moving back home after it happened. Uh, But yeah, so Whistler was a wild, friggin' wild time. Honestly, I have so many stories to share about that experience, but that would be hours long. And we can chat about that another time, if you would like to hear stories about Whistler and what that was like when I lived there for a year. But thank you for listening. Oh my gosh, I've been sweating and I've been laughing and (laughs) wow, what a time I'm having here by myself. (laughs) Anyway, I'm trying to calm my like giggles down right now. Tune in every Wednesday Thank you for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, share. Follow me on Instagram at realwhensharedpod. Yada, yada, yada. You know the drill. And I can't wait to chat with you guys next week. Or I guess I'm not really chatting with you. You're just listening to me. But hopefully my first guest will be in the next one. If not the next episode, the one after scheduling difficulties you know how it is all right keep it real keep it wild